<sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. The Bob Seska Show. Bob Seska. Hello, Seska. You're looking radiantly maternal. The Bob Seska Show. From our nation's capital, it is Tuesday, June 14, 2022, and this is the Bob Seska Show on the Sexy Liberal Podcast Network. What's up? How you doing? My name is Bob. Hello, Bob. Hi. Day 513 of the Biden-Harris administration, 143 days until the 22 midterms. I'm on Instagram. My handle is the Bob Seska. Twitter, Bob Seska underscore go. And you can follow Buzz Burbank at Michael J. Elston on Twitter. Link in the description. Oh, and look, he's sitting right over there. You say Buzz Burbank. But why? You said it all. Good day, why, sir. Hi. Why do Why do I need makeup? It's like radio. I don't mind the makeup, but I hate the prosthetics, you know? <laughs> right. Are you wearing your John Mitchell, Sean Penn makeup today? Is that yes, what you're doing? Yes, my chin. My, my, yeah. Anyway, hi, everybody. Uh, he's Bob. I'm Buzz. And after listening to all our advisors on how to handle today's show, we've decided to take the advice of a drunk guy. <laughs> Favorite story of the day. I was speaking of that. Uh, we know a lot of you listen at, at different times of day and in different time zones. Mm. So we just want to assure you that whatever it, time it is, wherever you are, there's a pretty good chance Giuliani's stinking drunk. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Is that your watch by it? Yeah. Uh, there's actually a new cocktail called the Drunk Rudy. Have you heard of this? <laughs> of course there is. The, 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 the Drunk Rudy is uh, two shots of vodka and just a dribble of black hair dye. <laughs> Ew. <laughs> uh, the January 6th hearings have been great so far, haven't they? Oh, yes, yes. Uh, yeah, there's uh, I really, as far as I'm concerned, only one big disappointment. Uh, and no musical numbers. <laughs> well, one of the first uh, bombshells, you know, in the, in the J6 hearings was Ivanka Trump saying about the election results, she believed Bill Barr over her dad. Mm-hmm. Well, that, that's destroyed her close relationship with her dad. But I think we're all relieved they waited to break up until after prom season. <laughs> and Gross. In Alaska's con- yes, it is. And in Alaska's Alaska's congressional primary over the weekend, uh, Sarah Palin was the big winner, uh, beating out the other candidates, including one candidate whose legal name is Santa Claus. Of course. Now here's why I'm nervous. Santa's telling the elves to stand back and stand by. <laughs> Oh, that was good. <laughs> was it? Oh, man, here we go. Ah, Crockpot Rudy, he's on board. No evidence there that he cares to take it. 
Classic. Perfect. Rocky MNT and Mike on Twitter. Thank you, Mike. Perfect, Perfect for, for today. today. Yes. Absolutely. <laughs> Buy me now a we're getting <laughs> Jinx double jinx. Yeah. We're getting we're getting too close, I think. I know. I that. think we are. We're, yeah. We dress the same now. We're actually <laughs> yes. somehow holding I, hands, even though, I don't know, we're, we're about uh, 1,500 miles apart. But sure. I, I'm, I'm, I'm wearing the white V-neck T-shirt. So... <laughs> I knew it. One of these days, I knew it would catch on. <laughs> Desperately trying to make that a thing. Okay. Welcome to the show, our uh, yeah. big Tuesday show. We've got lots of things to uh, talk about today. More dings than we know uh, what uh-huh. to do with. Obviously, Ooh. we're going to talk about both days of the 1-6 committee hearings. That's mm-hmm. going to be the bulk of the show. Plus, later on, we have to talk about the finale of Gaslit on the Stars Network. And G. Gordon Liddy's <laughs> culminating uh, plot line in that episode, which is you know uh, we, we worked with him and we, we worked with him and we're still taken by what we've seen in this uh, miniseries, which is just incredibly good, yeah, uh, unbelievably yeah. riveting, and and highly highly entertaining and kind of uh, informative and educational at the same time. Yeah, but just riveting uh, viewing and uh, really a fantastic job. So we were even having worked with Liddy, we were somewhat taken aback by what we <laughs> saw and. And so we hope to, to sort of share some of that with you without yeah, spoiling yeah. it. If he's in real life or was in real life half as nuts as he is in that uh, miniseries, I don't oh, oh my God, we were yeah. really, we were uh, like one door over from the enemy. I mean, we, <laughs> I, yeah. I was oh, completely yeah. justified in being absolutely terrified of him. <laughs> When you know, I, I don't know. Maybe I, I felt safe in that environment, uh, you know, at yeah. the radio station. I didn't think he would do anything there. I didn't. I guess I didn't give any thought to off campus, but I figured he didn't give much thought to me. So <laughs> I, I wasn't, I didn't feel like a, a, certainly like a target, yeah. even though perhaps at moments in his mind I was. Uh, well, I tell you, after what we did to him, after the uh, Letterman photo right. flap, <laughs> once we posted <laughs> up all those little Letterman heads all over the radio station, yeah. if I walked into the yeah. Bathroom there off the lobby at WJFK, and Liddy was in there. I would make a U turn and leave immediately. You're, I didn't want to be you're locked lucky in the to same. Be alive. <laughs> God damn it! And and if I was in there, and then he wandered up to the the stall next to me, right? My business in the bathroom was over at that Zip point. Up so and you're to speak. out of there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, tomorrow's hearings. Uh, you broke the news earlier today, Buzz, on Twitter. Tomorrow's hearings have been postponed. What's the yeah. uh, explanation behind that? The Wednesday. Well, there, there there was none at first, but yeah. uh, of course you have to stop speculation before it gets spread too far, uh, sure. such as it did yesterday when we heard that a key witness had canceled. Yeah. Uh, but uh, it, it turns out that it's uh, a, a sort of a technical 
matter. It has to do with the video editing, mm -hmm. and and it's not complete. It's not ready. The video editors are not ready for tomorrow's planned presentation about uh, Trump's pressure on the Justice Department. Yes, so okay. that's specifically what uh, the Wednesday hearing was supposed to be about. And you have to wonder a couple of things. A couple of let's let's go over some realistic possibilities for why the delay. Mm -hmm. uh, one, because that witness didn't show yesterday, the editors had to stop their work on future episodes <laughs> of the hearings and go back and find the Stepien tape and insert it in yeah. the proper places and get the tape numbers to everybody and get all that straightened out. So they lost some prep time yesterday yeah. that they weren't expecting to lose. And they're probably working on a tight schedule anyway. So that's, that's one explanation. The second explanation, it seems to me, is that uh, there may be new testimony. There may be new tape to edit oh in. Oh, boy. All right. Or, you know, there may be new material to edit into that. And then uh, the my third theory goes to something that I think the committee accidentally discovered yesterday. Okay. Uh, this was key, and this was toward the very end of yesterday's hearing, uh, when we got a little presentation about how Trump grifted his supporters, about how he lied uh, about the election results to get people to storm the Capitol, mm -hmm. and lied about the election results long after the election to raise money, telling his supporters that the money was for legal defense and, and uh, legal challenges to oh, the yeah. election, yep. when in fact it, it just went into Trump's pocket. <laughs> that, is, that is fraud. And uh, the committee exposed uh, some of that yesterday. And I think they knew about the fraud to begin with, but I don't think they were thinking of their pursuit uh, from the angle of fraud. I think they're taking fraud much more seriously now, wire fraud, as something to, to, that could really pin Trump. If seditious <laughs> conspiracy doesn't stick, then wire fraud does. And you, Bob, have been saying all along, election fraud, election fraud. Yeah. This is actually financial fraud, wire mm. fraud. Uh, it's absolutely a crime, brings down the biggest of criminals, and uh, very promising. So I think the committee has... Uh, they had something and they knew they had it, but I don't think they realized how valuable it was until it began to crystallize in yesterday's hearings and we began to get analysis of it. Mm -hmm. And when that happened, I think the, the committee realized, oh, God, we're, we've got gold here. Oh, yeah, so yeah. So it'll be interesting to see where that goes and if any of those theories are correct. But uh, that hearing about the Justice Department will be held later. Thursday's hearing will be as scheduled about the pressure on Vice President Pence. Oh, boy. But All right. They'll, they'll come back to the Justice Department in a future yet-to-be-scheduled hearing. So it's going to be a lot of John Eastman and Donald Trump Thursday night, sounds like. I mean, it was John Eastman's plan, right. even though he right. didn't really believe in it. And then it was uh, it was all those interactions between Trump and Pence that we've seen before. And in fact, we've seen the story about Save America PAC before and how right. much of yes. a scam it was and how much money Donald Trump is spending on the actual election thing versus the amount of money he's just sticking in his pocket like everything right. else. That It's a big right. grift. It's a big scam. Suffice to say. Only a teeny tiny bit, if at all, is being spent on investigating the election and so right. on. So, And the other thing is I wanted to mention regarding tomorrow's hearing being postponed mm -hmm. is having done editing work, video editing work in the past, right. mm -hmm. I know what it's like to have a million chefs in the kitchen all providing right. notes and having last-minute changes, last-minute additions. In, in something that's as crucial as this, I can't even imagine the amount of notes that are being handed down as far as yeah. that. I, 
presentation I have a friend goes, who was yeah. an editor for NBC Nightly News, a video editor for the Nightly News for a while, and they would come to him with stories, uh, pieces of stories, 15 minutes to airtime. Yeah, yeah. And, and say, put this together for us. Oh, really? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's like broadcast and, and, news. And, Bobby, Bobby, yeah. Bobby, Bobby, Bobby. That scene in broadcast news. <laughs> right, right, right. I've Very been real. there. I've yeah, been and, and like I said, if there is new testimony or to some tapes, maybe they've decided to, you know, again, from this fraud angle, maybe they've got something they want to go back and, oh, I remember this guy saying, let's go back to this tape. Yeah. So, yeah, there could be changes underway to that as well. They want to make sure that uh, that hearing is as tight and as powerful as the first two. I, I, if I may, I, just a word about the programming here. Yeah. Uh, there's been some discussion of the guy who's sort of producing this, a former ABC News producer and executive uh, who has done a fantastic job of helping the committee tell its story. But I've noticed that it's even like next time on J6. They, <laughs> they, they do a little thing. They recap, like at the beginning of the second hearing, they recapped what they covered in the first hearing. Mm -hmm. First hearing was basically a lawyer's opening statement and an outline of what they intend to cover during the rest of the hearings. Yeah. Uh, Tuesday, they opened it with sort of previously on, and they, they talked about what they had discussed the day before, and then at the end of the hearing, played a little clip from an upcoming hearing. <laughs> it's like, yeah, that's you know, so great. So it, it's, it's sort of television packaging, uh, but I've read about this ABC News executive, and I understand why uh, conservatives are nervous. This guy is highly, highly ethical. His, his, his career, from all appearances, from everything I've read, and I've done a fair amount of reading on this guy, uh, there in good hands. They've got an honest guy uh, helping them with the video presentation, the television presentation of these congressional hearings. That first hour, Thursday night, was yeah. so immensely compelling. In fact, you know what the second hour was, too? It was just, it was compelling in a different way. It was more of a right. personal story from uh, Officer Edwards, who's one of the yes. bravest people I think we uh, can name right now. And that uh, was important, too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, not only in terms of how she handled her duty on that day on January 6th and the abuse that she took, physical abuse and so on, and probably the subsequent bouts with uh, post-traumatic stress disorder and all the rest mm -hmm. of it, but also her bravery in standing up and speaking out, knowing full well that there's this gigantic cult-like movement of just the worst possible freakish weirdos mm -hmm. that you could ever uh, come up with who are most likely filling her inbox with the most heinous, horrifying dreck that you've ever seen. I can't even imagine what her inbox looks like. So Yeah, we've seen examples of the kinds of threats that get emailed or oh, yeah. private message to, to various people. Yeah, but that first hour was uh, well beyond expectations from what we were discussing beforehand and what we might see that night, it, it exceeded my expectations for sure, because the way they were putting together set up punchline, set up punchline. It wasn't literally a punchline like a right. joke, but it was right. this, the setup, and then they would reinforce it with this barn burner of a clip. We had right. uh, Bill Barr. We had Ivanka Trump. We had uh, Liz Cheney with a direct quote about hanging Mike Pence. I mean, that was one of the most, if I were to pick out yeah. the most historically relevant bit from that Agreed. first hour of the first night, it would have to be, maybe our supporters have the right idea. Mike Pence deserves it. And the fact that that was a quote, and I assume Liz Cheney was quoting Cassidy Hutchinson 
right. who has allegedly provided this information to the one six committee. And she was now yeah. she was chief of staff for Pence. Is that correct? She, uh, you know what? That's a good I know, question. I, I, I know I, that Pence's chief of staff is a key witness. I, I don't know if it's her or not, but she is also uh, an important witness in this. Yeah. I, but the beauty of this, uh, you and I had talked about this in a previous week, uh, and you were kind of scrambling while I was filling time. You were kind of scrambling to find the quote <laughs> of Trump, and and I knew at the time that there was no quote. It, it hadn't been revealed. Yeah. So it was in that Thursday hearing uh, that we heard the quote for the first time, the, the words that were supposedly actually spoken uh, by the president. And so finally, I, my thought was, now we have that quote. Uh, Cassidy Hutchinson was an aide to Mark Meadows, yeah. I see. Well, Pence's chief of staff will be a key witness on Thursday as well. So right, right. We're, and and that, that's the thing, and I, I mentioned this, I think, last week too. Uh, most of the testimony, most of the people doing the talking in these hearings are Republicans. Not just mm-hmm. Republicans, they're Trump Republicans. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and and so, uh, you know, this isn't this isn't all Democratic propaganda. These are Republicans providing the evidence. And to your point about punchlines, uh, I think a lawyer would call it uh, evidence uh, conclusion, evidence <laughs> conclusion. <laughs> you know, yeah. so. Yeah, but yeah, set up punchline, set up punchline. Yeah. Uh, but it, but it was uh, providing evidence uh, in chronological order of what happened and laying out the story. And so many people and I think Republicans and Democrats are coming away saying, I did not know that. Mm-hmm. I didn't, you know, they, everybody seems to come out of this having learned something they didn't know before or didn't understand before about this. I think these hearings are working. I think these hearings can change minds. It reminds me of Watergate, and we'll be talking about this in parallels today, yeah. but it reminds me of Watergate in the sense that uh, at, at first, uh, Republicans, no Republicans bought the story. And then after a while, some did, and then they, they tumbled, and it became like an avalanche. And then you get down to the hardcore Nixon supporters who never gave up supporting Nixon, who yeah. held on to him beyond the very end. You'll see that same thing here. You'll see that, but I also think you'll see the crumbling away of support that we saw uh, in Nixon's time. Uh, I, I I have a good feeling about the effectiveness of these hearings. Yeah, you know, look. Ultimately, they could put together a list of a couple hundred Democrats, liberals, people who uh, have observed this stuff. Certainly, journalists who have. Have right. uh, uh, researched and, and reported on this information, right. but having Republicans, Trump insiders in particular, mm-hmm. testifying here and having those receipts from Republicans adds so much legitimacy to what right. they're saying because we're talking about the phone call coming from inside the House, whether it's mm-hmm. Bill Stepien, which we're going to discuss with regard to day two, or yeah. Ivanka Trump, for God's sake, uh, right there uh, in the room, Bill Barr as well. These are Trump insiders, the most insider of Trump insiders. We're basically testifying against him and calling his words bullshit. Bullshit. Right. And, and they were under oath. They had to. I think from a, a bigger picture point of view, I just want to make mention of this. I said something along these lines on the after party, so forgive me for repeating myself. But so much of what we're seeing in these hearings is due to Trump's pathological inability to accept failure and rejection. Right. Defeat, yeah. uh, he, he failed the nation, failed his fanboys, failed his party, failed the office of the presidency. So America rejected him. And given the choice between acceptance or coup, Donald Trump chose coup. Now the new vernacular is, 
what team normals versus team Rudy, <laughs> drunken right. Rudy, which we're going to talk about with regard to day two. But that's the overview of this. This all went down because Donald Trump can't accept defeat. He's incapable. He's not wired to be able to say, well, you know, I gave it my best shot and I came up short. You know, like every single president who's ever lost a reelection campaign has done. Yes, yesterday's testimony, and this may be illustrated in one of the upcoming tapes, but yesterday's mm -hmm. testimony indicated that every time they would uh, tell Trump that a specific bizarre theory had been investigated yeah. and nothing was found, he, instead of responding to that, he would say, yeah, but what about this? And then he would move on to another <laughs> bizarre conspiracy theory. And, and serious people actually had to track this crap down, and every time they found nothing, but every time they tried to tell him about one specific thing, uh, he would move on to another item, and, and then, they, you know. <laughs> so, and, and there's a lot of discussion about, uh, uh, you know, Bill Barr's comment that uh, Trump was detached from reality. Uh, that could be an out in, in Trump's defense. Well, he was crazy. He didn't know what he was doing. Well, but there's, there's a difference between not knowing something or knowing something and acting contrarily to that or hearing something but sticking your head in the sand and not responding to it, not yeah. believing it. Yeah. And, and, and that, too, is a criminal act. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and so um, I, it'll be interesting to see how that goes, but I don't think it's anything Trump can wriggle out of. Well, we saw Merrick Garland, what was it, yesterday, say something to the yes. effect of that uh, we're watching, our prosecutors yes. are watching, our 1-6 yes. yes. prosecutors watching, are watching. people are yeah. watching, that's yeah. right, yeah. Mm -hmm. I hope that is the sign that some of us are taking it to be. <laughs> that's, uh, I my fingers are crossed. Uh, I'm, I'm relatively confident something has got to come of this or something will there's, come of this uh, there's a way. lot of un, there's a lot of understandable skepticism out there that yeah. nothing will come of this but mm -hmm. and i totally get where that's coming from but uh the you know for merrick garland to say yes we hear you yeah we're listening we were paying attention uh, i think is a very good sign I, I still hear from people and people are so eager when they heard uh uh, that today's hearing had been canceled. Somebody said, oh, is he getting arrested today? Oh, Trump? God, come on. Well, you know, that's not even realistic. You, I'm sorry, you don't understand. I'm glad you're on our side, but you don't understand how things work. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and no, it, it's nothing like that. And, and people still saying, well, why hasn't, uh, why hasn't the committee... Uh, you know, referred criminal charges yet to the Justice Department. Well, because they're not finished yet, mm -hmm. for one thing. And for another, as I've said before, it may not even be necessary. The uh, public pressure, the, uh, the information that DOJ is exposed to through these hearings, uh, is going to make prosecution by them, in my view, unavoidable. They'll they'll have no choice. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, nobody nobody has to tell them to prosecute this. All we have to do is lay out the evidence, and they're going to have to. So uh, there are myriad things that Trump could be charged with coming out of this. It's just a matter of whether or not the mindfulness to history and precedent uh, is overruled by the desperate need to enforce the rule of law here. So right. we'll see and, how and, that uh, well, plays since out. You brought, brought up Merrick Garland, this is the sort of rock and hard place that Merrick Garland is between right now, as yeah. I understand it, as based on what I've read. Garland feels that if he prosecutes Trump, he will unleash terrible violence in this country. Yeah, that, yeah. That the response from that could, you know, and I, I'm going to add, this is me talking here, maybe civil war level violence, but at the very least, mass violence. Yeah. 
Uh, on the other hand, if he doesn't uh, prosecute Trump, we lose democracy. Sure. So these are the these are the choices that Merrick Garland has that y'all are putting pressure on him uh, about. Uh, gee, which do I take? Uh, you know, death <laughs> in the streets, or you know, yeah, we think he's going to come down on the right side of things, but uh, you also know he's going to be very very careful about it because of the high stakes. What's the Shakespeare quote? Let justice be done, though the heavens fall. Maybe we need some of that uh, with Donald Trump in particular. Right. I think it's right. more important important to make sure that we don't establish the precedent of Trump. <laughs> yes. That, I think that far outweighs the precedent of prosecuting a former president. If we let this go, we can never stop it again. Yeah, exactly. Well, you know, uh, Bill Barr's testimony, I think, is some of the most compelling, uh, given mm -hmm. that he was specifically hired to rip the teeth out of the Mueller investigation. I mean, <laughs> that was primarily what he did early on. Yeah, yeah. So Bill Barr it, has been all into the idea of covering shit up for Donald Trump, using the right. DOJ as Donald Trump's personal fixer. Even while uh, Barr was saying these things to Trump privately, like these these conspiracy theories are bullshit, yeah. even though Barr was saying that to Trump privately, Barr was still covering for Trump publicly, saying, mm -hmm. well, we're looking into this. We're I'm going to launch an investigation. You know, and so uh, there were two Bill Barrs at work here, and uh, you know, now we're getting to see the one we didn't get to see before. The fascinating thing is that this happens all the time. What happened with Bill Barr happens all the time with people joining the Trump administration. We've seen it time and time again. For example, John Kelly moving over from DHS to become chief of staff. So, oh, right, I'm all in on this MAGA agenda. I, I like Donald Trump. I voted for Donald Trump. I'm on board. I'm going to serve at the pleasure of this president. And then they get in there and they're like, oh, fuck, what is this? What does he What does he say? He's, oh, my God, the liberals, the press, they're all correct. They're, everything they're <laughs> saying about this madman is exactly spot on. It took right. a matter of days between John Kelly joining up uh, as chief of staff and us seeing photos of him at Trump rallies, do it face palming and looking absolutely uh -huh. disgusted with what's going uh -huh. on. What have I done? Uh, yeah, every single one of these guys. Get into the Trump inner loop, and they go in with all these delusions about what he's like, and then you know, they actually experience, and it's like mind-blowing for them. Oh, my God, I can't believe and, this is real. And forgive me, indulge me, but in the miniseries Gaslit, John Dean offers a perfect <laughs> explanation for why people walk into the fan blade like oh, this. Oh, yeah, yeah, I know that, too. The, yeah. the luxurious seats, the, yes. the, sta the, the stationery, that has the White House stationery that has your name on it. Mm -hmm. uh, it's it's the power. It, it's It's people... Uh, addicted to, drunk on, or at least attracted to power. Yeah. And uh, once you get a thing like that, we well, you don't want to give up your White House stationery. You know. No, you no. Wanna, so it, it this is as bizarre as it seems. This vanity is the motivation for following a guy like Trump. I wonder if Bill Barr was surprised when he decided that Donald Trump's claims about whatever he was saying, the big lie, was bullshit. I wonder if that was a surprise to him. Oh, my God, this guy's bullshitting me. I, I can't believe it. Or, oh, well, here he goes again with more bullshit. Yeah. I think Barr was willing to play along with a certain amount of it yeah, uh, yeah. because of the, because conservative agenda. It was the same way yeah. uh, Republican lawmakers played along with it because conservative agenda. Uh, but uh, I think there came a point where he went, ooh, you know, this is, okay, this is a bridge too far for me even. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm out of here. 
And uh, so that meant he had to give up his <laughs> Justice Department stationery. <laughs> yeah. uh, it's a hard it's a hard thing to do, apparently, at least according to John Dean, who ultimately did it. This is fascinating, too, watching not only people turning on Fox News, uh-huh. but also turning oh. on Bill Barr. Uh, Zaki Hassan, who I've had on the interview show in the past, is a great guy, great writer. Uh, he posted these two tweets from Dinesh D'Souza, right. where going back to 2019, there's the first tweet from 2019 about Bill Barr from Dinesh D'Souza. He says, when the media left goes berserk, Republicans typically panic. I love the way Barr stays cool and methodically hits back with facts and logic. That's the way to deal with these dishonest creeps. Keep calm and whack them again. Hashtag Mueller day. So well aware that Bill Barr was there to run interference for Donald Trump and the Mueller report. Oh, absolutely. But then Dinesh D'Souza tweeted this yesterday. Bill Barr is a stereotypical small-town sheriff, overweight and largely immobile, whose rank incompetence results (laughs) in the whole town being robbed from under his nose. Then asked to explain what happened, Fatso breaks into laughter and insists the robbery itself is bullshit. Bullshit. Right. So that's they're turning on everyone who decided to step up, just like Donald Trump does. Eventually, Donald Trump will turn on everyone who is right. in his inner circle, including family members, which we have to talk I, about Ivanka next. But yeah, yes, of course. I I wish uh, the, the the comment about being a largely immovable or whatever whatever the comment <laughs> was about. I wish that would stick to Bar as much as uh, apparently drunk will stick to Rudy. Yeah. Well, for the first time. That Bill Barr attitude worked in our favor. I mean, up until this point, up until yeah. Thursday night, every time I'd hear Bill Barr talk, it would drive me bananas. The passive aggression of his tone of voice. Right. Well, yeah. You know, I, I was just doing I was just doing what I was told as uh, attorney general. You know, and it's it's been observed that that Barr looked uh, incredibly comfortable. And, <laughs> and it's like a, his body language seemed to say, I can stay here all day if you want me to. <laughs> you know? Right. <laughs> yeah. And so finally, it's something where that passive aggressive attitude lands squarely in you know the right side of the ledger at long last but uh the truly fascinating thing was ivanka trump's remarks regarding bill barr and how she believed bill barr's conclusion that there was no there there that there was no election or voter fraud or election fraud whatever donald trump was claiming was bullshit and ivanka trump actually agreed here's ivanka this is from uh, thursday night it's from day one how did that affect your perspective about the election when Attorney General Barr made that statement? It affected my perspective. Um, I respect Attorney General Barr. Um, so I accepted what he sent, was saying. Yeah, wow. Instead of believing dad. I would have given just about anything to be a fly on the wall in Donald Trump's living room at Mar-a-Lago as that clip was first played. Well, we've heard him try to explain it away since, uh, yeah. saying, well, she didn't. She was out of the loop. She didn't know what was going on. She didn't know what she was talking about. Yeah. And she was just expressing her respect for the attorney general. Well, let's talk uh, about that, because I think Donald Trump's reaction to her was to accuse her of perjuring herself. 
That's the real content of this thing that he put up on. <laughs> I don't know. What's the name? Is it Troth Central? Troth Truth Central. Whatever <laughs> that, that was. Yeah, Truth, that, that tr- website. Whatever it is. Troth Central. Yes. Troth Truth. What is it again? Troth Truth Central. Something like that. <laughs> he wrote Ivanka Trump was not involved in looking at or studying election results. She had Doesn't long know what she's since. Talking about. Yeah, she had long since checked out and was, in my opinion only trying to be respectful to Bill Barr and his position as attorney general. And right. in parentheses, he wrote, he sucked. <laughs> Keep it, giving <laughs> like it mature, right? Yeah, it's like um, he's eight years old. And by the way, I like that he had to say Ivanka Trump at the beginning. As yes. if, if he were to just write Ivanka, we'd be like, who the fuck is Ivanka? Who's he talking mm-hmm. about? But he had to say Ivanka Trump. Just... <laughs> Because, I don't know, he's got to use all the characters. And and I think we have to talk about this. I'm, I'm Look at the video of Ivanka's uh, deposition. <laughs> and uh, it looks like she was put together by the people who did Max Headroom. Uh, she it, she looks artificial. <laughs> and, Uncanny and Valley. Be, be, because, and it's not the video, it's her. Yeah, but yeah. I worried that people might even think the video was uh, fake <laughs> because she looked so fake. It's funny you mentioned that because that was a comment that Kimberly said uh, yeah. while we were watching the hearings. She, she was like, yeah, they're going to think all of this is deep fake. I did a double take and I went, yeah. oh, that, that doesn't look real. That looks animated. It looks <laughs> no. like it looks like manipulated, you know, but that yeah. no, that's yeah. that's just Ivanka. That's just Ivanka. She just maybe had the servo motors freshly yeah. uh, calibrated in her face or something. Wow. I don't know. But this part here, only trying to be respectful, suggests that mm-hmm. she was lying in her testimony and really actually didn't agree with Bill Barr. So Donald Trump is accusing his daughter of perjury, basically, in this tweet. And also, I love, I, I forget who tweeted this on the night, on Thursday night, but someone said, well, look, Ivanka finally fucked her dad. <laughs> Thank you. Instead of, instead of the other way around. He reminds me, Trump reminds me, and this is, we've entered the stage, well, let's call it the Dr. Smith phase. Yeah. If you ever watched a Lost in Space, you know, uh, Dr. <laughs> Smith was uh, stranded with his family in space, and he was a coward. He was just the biggest coward in the world. Yeah. And uh, I think one of his uh, classic lines was when the monster, uh, space monster, was approaching, he said, take the boy, not me. And that's <laughs> that's Trump. He said, take yeah. the girl, not me. Exactly. Yeah. Yes, because he will throw everyone under the bus. That was amazing about this that all these people were willing to go to bat for Donald Trump to risk their lives to risk the rest of their lives being incarcerated in some cases in the name of this game show host con man I can't get beyond that whether we're talking about campaign staffers inner circle White House people or the proud boys for that matter the oath keepers at one point in the Thursday night hearings Second hour, we saw a clip that I hadn't seen before that was shot inside the Capitol Rotunda with one of the uh, insurrectionists saying, I'll lay my life down if it takes it. That was a guy pledging to die for Donald Trump. And I just kept thinking, wow, all of these suckers who were deceived into invading and occupying the Capitol Uh on orders from this guy. It's so sad that all these people were so easily deceived by this professional con man. 
that's going to be key to the seven-part plan that uh, Trump allegedly had uh, to, to overthrow the election. Yeah. Uh, it was the Proud Boys and the Oath Keepers, who I've said all along were working closely with the White House. Mm -hmm. But it, it was those groups who, who breached the Capitol. But they wouldn't have had any success at all, and they would have been outnumbered by the cops if uh, Trump hadn't also brought a mob to D.C. Yeah. of people who felt cheated like this guy. Uh, and, uh, you know, so uh, those people were used. Uh, Trump has used his people, uh, his voters, all along. He's used them for money. He's used them for, for physical clout. Yeah, yeah. So we still have day two to get to, and I want to talk about Gaslit. I want to talk about Sunday night's Gaslit yes, and, and spend some time on that just because we have this special insight into G. Gordon Liddy, Buzz and I having <laughs> worked with him, Buzz, much longer than I did. But It's like we knew him, but we didn't know him, you know? Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and I'm... I'm really glad that we didn't know him better. <laughs> yes. <laughs> because I don't know if I want to peel back that onion too far in real life. Take you know this what I mean? Just fine. Thank you. Well, if the pandemic was an utter disaster for your credit cards, you probably upped your balances. Maybe you were out of work for a while because of COVID and you had to make ends meet. So you increase those balances. And if my guess is correct, you're probably paying that top allowable interest rate on that debt. So it's going to take you years and years to pay it off. So why not refinance your cards and a super low interest rate and save a ton of money every month. And here's how to do it. With Lightstream, you can roll your cards into one low payment at a fixed rate as low as 4.98% APR with auto pay and excellent credit. That's way lower than what you're paying right now. I bet you're probably paying around 19% APR. You can get a loan from $5,000 to $100,000 and there are absolutely no fees. And just for my listeners, you can apply now and get a special interest rate discount to save even more. All this just for you. The only way to get this discount is to go to lightstream.com slash sesca that's l-i-g-h-t-s-t-r-e-a-m.com slash c-e-s-c-a i got a link in the description conveniently for you under this episode at bobseska.com subject to credit approval rates range from 4.98 percent apr to 19.99 percent apr and include a 0.50 percent auto pay discount lowest rate requires excellent credit terms and conditions apply and offers are subject to change without notice visit lightstream.com slash sesca for more info CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.
this is Nick Lutzko. This is some of his uh, serious music. He does comedy music and he does serious music, and this is one of his serious tracks. This is uh, from his album called Swords, a song called Software. NickLutzko.com, you know who he is. He likes to yell about boat parades and sitting next to Dan Bongino. <laughs> All right, uh, bobseska.com slash music to submit your work to the show. If you happen to be a musician, an indie musician, recording artist, whatever you identify as, please send it over. We'll play it here on the show out of commercials and so on. So thank you for doing that. Yeah. So I, I do this uh, sort of impression of, of G. Gordon Liddy, who yes. I worked with. And, and it's, uh, it's the, the Liddy we knew, uh, talked in this sort of higher voice, as I've mentioned yes. before. Yes. Well, uh, Shea Wiggum, to his credit, it was just an incredible actor, uh, played mm -hmm. uh, Gordon Liddy in uh, the Star's miniseries Gaslit. Yes. And uh, he, he looked for the humanity. <laughs> I've, I've read an interview with him. He, he tried to look for the humanity. And so he, he saw Liddy as being very controlled. And so he used a very low, controlled tone of voice, but we want to share with you a, a scene that won't spoil the series for you in any way. Uh, but but yeah, we thought you'd enjoy this because uh, we're going to do the same scene that Shay Wiggum did uh, with the actor playing John Dean. I'm sorry, I don't have his name in front of me. Yeah, uh, they were both incredible. Uh, but mm -hmm. uh, this is this is that same scene in the Liddy voice we knew. Yes, indeed. Yes, this will be a dramatic reenactment of uh, that scene in the finale of this uh, Gaslit miniseries on stars. Hey, Bob Seska Show, Two Minute Theater. Here we go. In a Watergate witness holding room with John Dean, Liddy draws a yellow number two pencil from a pencil holder and addresses Dean. A portrait of then-President Nixon hangs on the wall. Liddy speaks. As part of my training in the Bureau, they taught us how to kill a grown man with just a sharpened pencil. Dean looks nervously at the door. Can you believe it? One swift thrust right below the Adam's apple, and the subject bleeds out silently. Apply enough pressure, and you might even hit the brain stem. Liddy places the pencil on the conference table, directly in front of Dean, and tells of his fantasies about killing Dean. I was visited, you see, haunted, you might say, by a creature, <coughs> a fat bitch rat with buck teeth and suckled teats that dotted her underbelly. Night after night, I could hear her in the walls, mocking my weakness. And deep in my heart, I knew she was right. She brought me down to nothing, that bitch rat. My spirit gave out completely. And then a miracle happened. In my darkest hour, I heard her calling me. I followed her voice into the wall. And you know what I did in that moment, face to face with that vermin I'd been seeking for weeks? Dean, rattled, shakes his head. No. Liddy answers. I broke down. Weeping like a baby. Dean asks, and what happened to the rat? I ate her. First I ate her pups, and then I ate her. I ate them all. Don't you see? I ate them so you could live. <laughs> Liddy caresses Dean's head and reaches for the pencil on the table, drawing it slowly closer and then slipping it into Dean's pocket. Dean sighs in great relief until Liddy draws his head into Dean's with the words... I love you, John Dean. Guards enter, one of them yelling, Jesus Christ, who put you two in the same room? And, and have scene. It. Yes, thank there you very you much. It. The Bob Seska Show, <laughs> Two Minute Theater. A minute with... And here's why I wanted to bring that today. It, yes. Because I've told this story for years about uh, Liddy saying, I can kill a man with a pencil. <laughs> 
and and I thought maybe people thought I was just making that up, <laughs> but this movie substantiates what John Dean has uh, written and said uh, about uh, a moment that he and and uh, Liddy were accidentally trapped together in the same witness room. Incredible, incredible. Yep, uh, so many Lydiaisms in there. I was so gratified to see that they did the pencil thing, and that was yes. because I immediately flashed to you. I was like, yes. "That's what Buzz has been saying all this time." I, I, I can I kill sh- a guy with a pencil. I shrieked at least twice uh, during uh, the movie, and uh, one of them was the pencil. Another was uh, the Bob Redford, Bob Woodward scene, oh, where yeah, we yeah. see the back of, uh, of an actor who's supposed to be Bob Woodward from the Washington Post, uh-huh. but they have his hair and his clothing uh, looking exactly like what Redford wore in yeah. in, in the movie. And uh, so that I thought that was a kind of a cool thing they did. And I also, it did my heart good to see uh, Dean Haldeman, Ehrlichman, uh, Coulson uh, digging ditches on a, on a military prison farm. Oh, yeah. Well, the only thing that would have made that Liddy scene even better would be if he had referenced how uh, Mrs. Liddy's <laughs> cake frosting, you could snap <laughs> yes. like a twig. He was very... Very into that. We, we could have done that the other way around because you do a very good Liddy also. And, uh, <laughs> that's true. You know, but that's that's how we heard him. Shay, Shay Wiggum gives it a very low-key and very controlled approach because yeah. he knew, and this is true, that Liddy was all about control. Right. And your Liddy voice is one of my favorite things in the whole world. I don't know so why, that's why. <laughs> because yeah. It's just, it's so perfect. I Because we knew each other when Liddy was just across the glass from us and knowing that you had to work with that guy and how much animosity you had for him mm, <laughs> because yeah. of his politics, the shit that he used to say on right. his show, and then putting that into uh, your your mocking impression of him is just the perfect thing. But it's I just, I just want to people know, I, I didn't make up the voice. Uh, Bob can testify that that's similar. That's his voice, to, yeah. And and the, the, I didn't make up the thing about the pencil, and so I, I felt vindicated by that. He also used to say, uh, you can kill a man with a single drop of nicotine the size of a head of a pin. <laughs> oh, you know what? Every time I drive on the Beltway here, I think <laughs> yes. of Liddy calling the Beltway an eight-lane death strip. Yes, yeah. Oh, yeah. And and it's he literally was... every time I hit the beltway, I'm like, oh, here I am on the eight-lane death strip. <laughs> wow. Yeah. yeah. Some yeah. of that, it, uh, forgive us, uh, that's hard for us to shake. And it, it was, uh, I guess the wound was reopened this week uh, when we finished watching that, that Stars miniseries. Get it if you get happy. Yeah, I mean, we sat across the glass from the devil. I mean, that's essentially yeah. w- what we're talking about here. Liddy was and will always be the devil. What would he, what did they say in the miniseries that he was at the dark rotting core of <laughs> the American lie? It was some yeah, sort of yeah. really well-written poetic line well, like the, the whole thing is is well yeah, written. Uh, yeah. Very, you know, it's it's a fun series. Uh, yes, more than it's a. You, you'll watch it and you go, well, geez, this is more fun than I thought it was going to be. Yeah, uh, yeah, and and you'll be on the edge of your seat because it's uh, the story's that compelling. <laughs> well, and as the culminating scene with Gordon Liddy, uh, mm-hmm. this is a bit of a spoiler. So if you want to jump ahead fifteen seconds, when they cut to him as the episode is wrapping up, and he's actually mm-hmm. kept the rats as a pet in his cell, mm-hmm. and, and they're mm-hmm. sitting in that box, and the pups, it cracks me up to no end that he's referring to the baby rats as pups. 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 Yeah. Uh, little pups. I ate the pups, too. <laughs> I ate them all. <laughs> but he's got them all as pets, so it turns out he didn't eat them. So... <laughs> 
You know, uh, was he crazy? Was he calculating? I think he was yeah. both. Uh, remember, this is a guy who ate rats so John Dean could live. Yes. So he didn't have to kill John Dean. Oh, and he desperately wanted to kill John oh, Dean. Yes, he I, did. I will never forget that. I mean, he would never stop talking about how much of a rat John Dean was. Right. Yeah, that, that was, was always a thing. Name. John Dean's name would come up, a it's, caller would mention, he's a rat. He's a rat. And, and I know we're running terribly behind. I, I've been doing more reading, darn it. And uh, I, the Washington <laughs> Post has been commemorating the 50th anniversary of the Watergate story breaking. Yeah. And their breaking of it. Uh, and they, they did a sort of a retrospective over history that I found very instructive. And it crystallized something that I kind of knew, but I'd never heard it put in this terms before. I'll try to keep it brief. We had the, we had the Vietnam War, and then we mm -hmm. had the Pentagon Papers. Because before that, before the Vietnam War, Americans just flat trusted government. Yeah, yeah. Things were different there. Reporters kept secrets about politicians. Uh, things ran smoothly. People had had faith in their government. Mm -hmm. And then, and then we had the Vietnam War and the Pentagon Papers that revealed that the U.S. government had been lying about the war to yeah. the American people. And and then that was immediately followed by Watergate. Which and so each one of these steps along the way deteriorates Americans' faith in their government. Mm -hmm. So they went from trusting government to not trusting government after the Pentagon Papers, trusting it even less after Watergate. And then, interestingly, this article points out that because of our reaction, and take note of this, Bob, because of our reaction to that uh, Nixon corruption, to that Watergate era, we we passed a bunch of laws and we started cracking down on ethics. Yes, and we went from zero ethics uh, conviction in one year to 1,300 in the next year. Wow. And, and guess what? Our remedy to that corruption problem actually further eroded public trust in our institutions and in government because they said, well, look, look how many crooked people there are. Oh, yeah. So yeah. our very efforts to clean it up made people believe even less. Yeah. And, you know, there will be efforts after this to clean up government so that uh, this Trump thing never happens again. So, it, you know, it's uh, it's interesting. But the article argues that it's uh, sort of the, the crumbling of these things that has led us to this moment of uh, dealing with Trump. Oh, yeah. And there's a great conversation in the series finale of Gaslit where they're talking about the phrase slippery slope. And, yeah. and the, the one thing I wanted to add here as we wrap up the uh, Gaslit portion of the conversation today is <laughs> poor Martha Mitchell. Uh, I mean, that's the, I think, the big takeaway from this yeah. series. Obviously, she was the main character as much as we were fascinated with Gordon Liddy. The shaft that Martha Mitchell got uh, historically, yeah. where she was right from the beginning and no one believed her, sort of the opposite of what people felt about the government. Originally, they were like, well, you got to trust your government. And then after Watergate, oh, I don't trust the government at all. Right. Well, it was the opposite with Martha Mitchell, where initially they didn't trust Martha Mitchell and what she was saying. Right. She was absolutely right. telling the truth. And, and, you know, I love the, you know, as it culminates at the end at her grave with the flowers arranged to say Martha was right and how they uh -huh. held on that for a good long time into the credits yes. for that final episode. And it's so appropriate because she was and she's only now being vindicated. We've talked about Watergate a lot on the show. I've yeah. studied it a lot and hardly ever mentioned is Martha Mitchell. And now that all changes, and thank God for it, because she was there, courageous, and she, she was actually decimated as a consequence of it. Yeah, and there, there's an 
interesting lesson here, I think, and that is mm -hmm. that uh, once you're cast as something, uh, Martha Mitchell was cast as kind of a joke. And so yeah. even after the truth came out, I mean, a, a biographer came out with a book uh, upon Martha's death that explained to people, so this knowledge of uh, the role Martha seriously played has been around for a while, mm -hmm. and there are certainly things not to like about Martha Mitchell, but she was right, and she it was good that she spoke up because it, it kind of helped make things happen. That's right. And, and, and it's the second movie I've seen in the past year where a woman with a who wasn't taken seriously and the other is Tammy Faye Baker uh, only now we realize what a wonderful human being Tammy Faye Baker was and if yeah. you were to evaluate by Christian standards uh, far more of a Christian than her husband Jim Baker because <laughs> no, she actually true. truly cared about gay people about mm -hmm. about uh, the L LGBTQ community uh, as as she knew it then and uh, she was vilified or at least uh, discredited for a person as, because of her makeup and all of that as a person not to be taken seriously because of her devout uh, religion, uh, not taken seriously. Martha Mitchell, drinker, a gossiper, not taken seriously. Mm -hmm. But they were both right. Yep. They were both right. That's but right. history remembers them as as being ridiculous, as, as something you can write off, just as history will now remember Rudy as a drunk. Well, notify the affiliates we're running a little late today. It's because um, I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. We've got lots of information to we cover. We have so much, and, and I'm trying to like insert things along the way just to make sure we cover everything. Yeah. we got to talk about the ratings for the, the hearings. Yes. We, we weren't sure anything was going to happen there. We weren't sure it was going to move a ratings needle. But uh, over 20 million people watched that first one. I don't mm -hmm. have the latest numbers yet on yesterday's. Uh, and remember, Fox, there were like seven... Seven networks that carried the thing, yeah. including Fox Business, but Fox News Channel, alleged, uh, did not carry it. Uh, it to all total, and this is just television viewing, uh, over 20 million people watched that hearing. Incredible. Now, that doesn't count. That doesn't count however many watched online, and you know that's a substantial number. And it doesn't count the number of people who listened on radio, because it was carried on radio as well. So more Americans than anybody expected were paying attention to this. They have a hit on their hands. Uh, Fox, meanwhile, did not carry the first hearing, and they got 2.9 million viewers. They were almost matched in audience by their own business network that usually has an audience of about 100,000 people. That's right. Uh, and, and all of the networks averaged around 3 million, with seven of them carrying at about 21, between 20 and 21 million people watching this thing. Fox, meanwhile, wah, wah, got a 2.9. <laughs> yep. And uh, so yesterday, Fox decided it would carry the hearing. That's amazing. And they got on board just in time because, yep. at least according to the Midas Touch guys, and uh -huh. I don't have independent verification of this, so take it with a grain of salt, viewership of day two of the hearings, uh, at least across the Midas Touch streaming channels, oh, right, yes, increased by at least 40% from day one within the first 12 hours of airing. And so from their perspective, there was a bump from the first yeah. night to the second day, I guess you could Not call a fluke. it. Yeah, Not yeah. a fluke. So yeah. I imagine that is probably reflected in the television ratings as well. And, and even if it's not, even if it's about the same or a little less, we're talking about 
something that happened during the day on a weekday. The ratings are naturally going to be lower. But if they were actually able to hold steady or Mm. uh, beat the curve, so to speak, then uh, that's a a huge accomplishment. I I do wish that for these daytime hearings that PBS would do what it did uh, during Watergate, and that is rerun them at night. Right. Uh, People uh, who had to work and couldn't watch the Watergate uh, televised hearings during the day uh, would come home at night and reliably turn on their public television station and and watch it replayed for them so Mm -hmm. they could catch every minute of the thing if they wanted to. Uh, And and, uh, it was the Watergate hearings and Sesame Street. Without those two shows, PBS would have not survived. It's amazing. Watergate, actually, uh, with with the help of Sesame Street, Watergate saved PBS. So day two was all about proving that Donald Trump was aware, at least from the people around him, that he had lost. And what precipitated all of this, apart from drunken Rudy, we'll get to that in a second, is the basic fact that Donald Trump just cannot accept loss. He just refuses to see the loss for what it is because that's just not the way he's wired. Right. So it was all because he's a sore loser. In fact, the sorest of all losers. And so so all of this trouble and hassle and people being incarcerated and people being ruined for life and so on, well, for one, they deserve it. But two, it was all in service of Donald Trump's brittle insecurity and his sore loserism. I mean, that's what it comes down to. And, and they did it. Yeah. They did it so they could have their name on stationery or, or yeah. some, uh, you know, they wanted some halo effect from Trump and because conservative agenda. Yeah. Uh, the Republicans, the entire party... Uh, McConnell included, sold out their principles Mm -hmm. uh, because they knew with this guy they could get a lot of their stuff done. Yeah, and with some of these people, how's that working out for you? Yeah, right. you may have gotten a ride on Air Force One, but you're fucked for the rest of your life. Rudy Giuliani, your reputation is dirt. The legacy for you could Mm -hmm. have been the hero of 9-11, America's mayor, and all of that bullshit, but now it's you're nothing but a drunken punchline with, you know, hair dye drooling down your face. We we have to say, uh, in fairness, that he has, in his own defense, said that he was not drunk that night. But here's <laughs> yeah, here's, sure. here's the ki- here's the kicker to that: if he was sober <laughs> and he gave that advice, that's even worse. <laughs> so yes, I enjoyed hearing this quote all morning yesterday. The apparently inebriated Rudy Giuliani yes. on election night. So there were two teams inside the White House. There was the, of course, there was Team Normal, which I resent that. There was no normal on Team Normal. But I guess in relation to Team Rudy Giuliani, <laughs> yeah, I guess it's, yeah. yeah, I guess it's all relative. So that's got to be a little bit normal if you're comparing it to drunken. At least norm- <laughs> normal in the sense of being aware of, of reality and the law. Yeah. yeah, in that sense, they were normal. Thanks to Chris Lavoie for pulling this music for me from the Stephanie Miller Show library because this is this is now Rudy Giuliani's theme. What Rudy's do you th- theme. Yeah, what do you what do you think, Rudy? It's despicable. Yeah, I know, but I like it. Yeah, uh, and this label will stick with him forever uh, because yeah. it, it was said repeatedly and with some certainty in that hearing yeah. that Rudy was drunk. So, given the choice between Team Normal and Team Drunken Rudy. Trump went with Team Drunken Rudy. That's all that needs to be right. said, I think, from this point forward. He said, eeny, meeny, miny, I'm going with a drunk guy. <laughs> I can't get enough Rudy, of this. Rudy's an optimist. He sees the vodka bottle as half full. So. <laughs> right. 
Um, what else from yesterday? Chris Steyerwald's testimony did more yeah. damage, I think, to Fox News than anything we've said in a long time. Chris Steyerwald was the, what, the politics editor, the politics executive at yes. uh, Fox News at the exactly. time. And he led the team. Uh, that uh, He was a, is a statistician by trade, yeah. and uh, so are the people who work for him. They are among the best in the business. They were, uh, they, they had a cooperative effort with the Associated Press. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Fox uh, political division, uh, for counting election uh, results, uh, is above reproach and, and yeah. was absolutely one of the best, if not the best, in the business. They were the first to call uh, Arizona and the first, therefore, to call uh, the election for Joe Biden. Now, Fox News has something that they refer to as the brain room. And what I have always assumed it was is like a coat check room where you check your brain <laughs> before going on the air. <laughs> well, that makes sense. But I think apparently Chris Steyerwalt was in charge of the brain room, which yes. is where they uh, do all the calculations and where they came up with the idea that Donald Trump had lost Arizona, that Joe Biden had won and they made that call. And ever since then, all these red hats have been hating on Fox News and going over to OAN and Newsmax and all these other sort of copycat networks. But this testimony I thought was uh, interesting because initially Chris Steyerwalt didn't seem to say anything. Like when he was first sworn in, he just nodded his head in the affirmative. And then they asked him a question and he did another head nod. And I thought it was going to be one of these things where he was going to be resistant to answering (laughs) questions, sort of like the documentary guy uh, Thursday night. But right. instead, when he was asked who won the election, he used all the words. He said, Joseph Robinette Biden Jr. of the great state of Delaware won the <laughs> yeah, election. Yeah, yeah, that was that was a little twisting of the knife. He, he strikes me as an arrogant guy, which is maybe uh, <laughs> yeah. the one thing I didn't like about uh, mm-hmm. Bill Stilewell. But, but he also really seemed to know what he was talking about. And I yeah. wondered if any other network executives were thinking, gee, maybe we ought to get that guy now that he's available. Because uh-huh. it does sound like he has a, a pretty amazing system for tracking election results. Yeah, he was asked, after November 7th, how likely was it for then-President Donald Trump to pull out a surprise victory? And Steyerwalt said, you're better off to play the Powerball, was the answer. Right, right. Gotta laugh. <laughs> Gotta laugh. God, I love this. I love this. Sucking but it down his, like Coca-Cola. His, his testimony right. was credible. And remember, mm. he, he came to it. This isn't a Democrat talking. This is a, We don't know what his politics are. Yeah. I, he may even be Republican. Uh, the important thing is he gave credible testimony because he's all about the numbers and uh, he's on the side of the numbers. This was really revealing. In fact, I was surprised how revealing it was. This kind of defines, this quote from Chris Steyerwald from yesterday, kind of defines Fox News Channel in a very salient way. He said, Mm -hmm. and it showed to me how much television, the perceptions of events, of television as entertainment, news as entertainment, and treating it like a sport, had really damaged the capacity of Americans to be good citizens in a republic because they confused the TV show with the real thing. That's heavy stuff. Yeah, indicates to me that they know at Fox News Channel that it's just a TV show, that it's just mm-hmm. entertainment, and they've yeah. confused their entire viewership but into believing that it's real life, and it's not. We've, we've no doubt that Fox got a call from Donald Trump, and yeah. uh, you know Fox came down on this guy. They fired this guy because Trump wanted them to, because Trump... Yep perhaps told them to. Well, uh, Mick Mulvaney is pooping in his big boy pants these days for some reason. He tweeted the other day, this would be yesterday, Trump's inner circle at the end was 
Giuliani, Sidney Powell, Linwood, Peter Navarro, and then he wrote garbage in, garbage out. So the rats are throwing each other overboard yeah. is what they're yeah, doing. This is, the, this is the fun part, kids. Yeah, and yeah. This, this happened in Watergate as well. Uh, the more Republicans who fall, the more who will fall behind them. Yep. The more who come forward to talk, the more who will come forward to talk behind them. Mm-hmm. Because at that point, at a certain point, when uh, the writing's on the wall, uh, people are going to be looking to cut deals with prosecutors yeah. uh, to avoid extended prison stays. And it, it, again, it happened in Watergate. You'll see it happen again here. Don't be sore about it because if this is what it takes to get uh, the information, uh, I'm willing to make some sacrifices here and there. Yeah, yeah. And don't buy Mick Mulvaney's crying. <laughs> He's not trying. I mean, he's trying desperately trying to rehabilitate himself, but don't believe it. I mean, this guy was the chief of staff when Donald Trump decided to downplay and ignore warnings about COVID. Right. Uh, Mick Mulvaney was there for that first four or five months of 2020 when uh, you know things could have turned and uh, hundreds of millions of deaths could have been avoided if Donald Trump had done the right thing, the paint by numbers thing we do in the case of a pandemic right at the beginning, and he didn't. And Mick. Mulvaney was there for all of it, so don't uh, buy they, his bullshit. This is one time I don't think Trump is thrilled about the ratings. You know, you know what <laughs> no. I'm saying? I mean, I, he likes it when people talk about him, but I don't think he likes the way this is going. Uh, he's got to be feeling this if he has any feeling at all. Well, we have a couple more things to get to here, so we're going to wrap up the show here in just a second. But first, unlike some podcasts, you may have noticed we've got uh, some crass commercial breaks in our shows, as G. Gordon Lee used to call them. <laughs> crass commercial messages. Yes. But, but here's the best way to listen to the Bob Seska show without all those crass commercials. Just go right now to our Patreon page at bobzuskashow.com. Scroll down to the link for the ultimate edition of the podcast and sign up for just $15 per month. In addition to your generous, generous support, we'll give you a completely commercial-free version of the Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday shows. Plus, you'll get the Shadow Docket on Tuesdays and Thursdays, and the Shadow Docket will be combined with the free show into sort of one big mega show with the free portion and the Shadow Docket, exactly how it's recorded, and no commercial. But wait, more things. You're also going to get the Friday After Party podcast with me and Kimberly included in that level of support, all for just $15 a month. You get everything we have to offer for that uh, subscription rate. Again, bobseskashow.com, bookmark it, send it to all your friends, and we thank you. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome to Fail Better, David Duchovny's new podcast with Lemonada Media. On Fail Better, David, who has experienced both low- and high-profile failures throughout his life, explores the vast world of failure, how it holds us back, propels us forward, and ultimately shapes our lives. Each week, he'll chat with guests like Ben Stiller, Bette Midler, and more about how our perceived failures have actually been our biggest catalysts for growth, revelation, and even healing. Through these conversations, he hopes listeners can learn how to embrace the opportunity of failure and fail better together. Fail Better is out now wherever you get your podcasts. Bob Seska plays more music.
Okay, this is uh, Air This Side of Caution, a song called We Don't Live Here Anymore. And yeah, I've already played this song. I think I played it last month. But I'm playing it again, and I'll tell you why. It occurred to me the other day, it's one of these things I think of as I'm falling asleep, (laughs) and I'm panicked into being awake again, because I think on the show, I was referring to this band as Air on the Side of Caution, instead of what the actual band name is, which is Air This Side of Caution. This side of caution. So, yeah, I was getting it wrong on the show. So I apologize for that. I feel terrible that uh, I misidentified the name of this band because I really like this song. Uh, again, the band is called Air, that's A-I-R, like the stuff we breathe, and then uh-huh. the rest of the name is This Side of Caution. And for Got some it. reason, I was changing this to On The. I don't know why oh. my brain was just going air on the side of caution because of the old uh, maxim or the old well, uh, phrase. Yeah, be- because we have extra time to fill today. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I right. thought I would. I, I would share. Uh, I I lost a friend recently. She w- had been a co-anchor on when in the short oh. period of time I was a DJ, and uh, unfortunately she passed. But she did some great uh, uh, work as a public servant, mm-hmm. uh, and she was a spokesperson uh, for uh, the American Cancer Society at wow. one point, and also for the New York state department of public health and when she was in new york working for the governor she uh uh, they, I guess it was the Ebola thing. I don't remember what disease was scaring us all at the time. But whatever it was, it, the scientists, the doctors would put together a statement, the public health experts, and she would would go through her before going out. And uh, they had used the phrase, air on the side of caution. Mm-hmm. And she said, no, 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 no. You don't, you don't say that. You never admit error. You say, uh, acted out of an abundance of caution. Oh, yeah. That makes so she, much sense. She invented that phrase. And now we hear it all the time about everything. Wow, Acting that's out incredible. of an abundance of caution. But anyway, we Chris Smith, we miss you. Yeah. Oh my yeah. God, I'm so sorry. Yeah. That's a uh, well, it's terrible. And, it and was, also, it was great to know her, and we had a lot of fun, a lot of laughs together on the radio too. Uh, you're just you're connected to everyone. You're like Zelig somehow. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's weird. It's weird. <laughs> so, uh, what do you make of this story? NBC News caused a bit of a stir yesterday, or I guess we uh-huh. could say Benny Thompson caused a bit of a stir, where the story came out that there will be no criminal referrals handed down by the 1-6 committee, although I think the press is kind of getting this one wrong. What's your take on the, this one? I think the press is getting it wrong, and I think a lot of uh, our fellow progressives are getting it wrong. Yeah. As I said earlier in the show, uh, you don't have to make a referral. If they present their case right, they, the DOJ isn't going to need, you don't have to draw a map for them, you know? Yeah. Uh, the DOJ is watching this. That was one thing that Merrick Garland wanted us to know yesterday, that he's watching, his prosecutors are watching. Mm-hmm. They're, believe me, they're taking notes and making phone calls and checking their own records. Uh, they are they are on this more than they have ever been. And it seems to me that all the committee really needs to do is present a case so compelling, the Department of Justice, because of that evidence and because of public pressure, which it doesn't normally bow to, will have no alternative but to file charges yeah. against Donald Trump. I, so this whole thing, this is kind of a, a red herring to me, this business of uh, will there or won't there be referrals. I think we're, uh, that's the least of our worries. Mm-hmm. Let's, let's present a, a perfect case that is uh, where prosecution is unavoidable, yeah. and uh, it should should work from there. From a journalistic point of view, though, this piece is a just this article at NBC News is uh, bad 
is how they, they <laughs> refer to these things. Bad. Uh, the headline in particular is... Bullshit. It is bullshit. The headline says, Jan 6 committee will not make any criminal referrals, chairman says. And then if you scroll down to mm-hmm. the actual quote, uh-huh. it says... Our job is to look at the facts and circumstances around January 6th, what caused it, and make recommendations after that. And then he said, the committee has not issued a conclusion regarding potential criminal referrals. We will announce a decision on that at an appropriate time. I believe September. Yeah. Yeah. But there's nothing here that indicates no criminal referrals. He's just saying when we get to the time to make criminal referrals, that's when we will make criminal uh, referrals if there's yeah. evidence for it. Right, right. And I, I just say everybody settle down. You know, yeah, that yeah. would be my advice. Uh, this is not the topic at hand. This is not right. really. I, I'm not. It's the least of my concerns about this investigation. I, I just want it to be well presented in such a way that the American people see and the Department of Justice sees that a prosecution is unavoidable. Yeah. Unavoidable. The Associated Press, this is the lead of a story they ran on Sunday. Members of the House Committee investigating the Capitol riot said Sunday they have uncovered enough evidence for the Justice Department to consider an unprecedented criminal indictment against Mm -hmm. former President Donald Trump for seeking to overturn the results of the 2020 election. That is your Associated Press on Sunday, a piece written by Hope Yen with the headline, Jan 6 panelists, enough evidence uncovered to indict Mm -hmm. Trump. Mm-hmm. What's there, the problem here? They're, they're beyond <laughs> I that. Yeah. I, I, they're so far beyond that. I think they're finding new things uh, to uh, you know bring people's attention to, including this this whole business of wire fraud, of, of yeah. defrauding Trump supporters, uh, telling them that the money would be used for one thing and, mm-hmm. and then using it for something else is is clearly fraud, interstate fraud, a federal yeah. crime. More than one hundred Republican primary winners. Support Donald Trump's big lie. So we got 100 Republicans running for a national statewide office who all agree with this evidence-free conspiracy theory lie that the election was stolen from Donald Trump. And worst of all, many of them are running for secretary of state or election commissioner. (laughs) Yeah. uh, Well, this is, if there was ever a time to pay attention to local elections, this is also where our government is being overthrown unless Mm -hmm. we pay attention and step up and uh, either run for office or support somebody, recruit somebody, uh, and make sure everybody votes because... Uh, the people who are going to decide the outcomes of the next elections are not people you want deciding the outcomes of the yeah. next elections. This is the thing I thought of as soon as I saw this article in the Washington Post was 2024. 2024. Do we honestly want Republicans in charge of Congress and more state legislatures right. with the 2024 presidential election looming again? You don't want Republicans, more Republicans, backstopping big lie version 2.0. If it should happen in uh, 2024. So these are the things we have to bear in mind. we got to start thinking long-term in this country. And, and I'm not and talking local. necessarily about those of us who are uh, diehards and we follow politics and we vote and all the rest of it. I'm talking about the folks. we got to get the word out to the folks, as I've been calling them, it's who don't necessarily follow politics, to change and shift their priorities when it comes to voting, that these short-term things about gas prices or inflation, whatever silly season thing ends up coming up to, 
that kind of crap is not worth voting on because it's not going to change a goddamn thing. It may make you feel better when you aggressively press that button in your voting booth or something like that, but it's not going to do a goddamn thing to change anything. What it will do is it'll change things for the worst because then we end up with a Republican Congress who will backstop Donald Trump if he tries this bullshit again. And And, destroying democracy. It it really was, I've seen a number of people posting on Twitter saying, I'll pay $10 a gallon for gas if I can keep democracy. That's right. Uh, They are in fact paying over $9 a gallon in Canada. Joe Biden Mm -hmm. didn't do that any more than he did raise the prices in this country. Yeah. Uh, So we we have to crush that foolishness with that kind of truth. Uh, That's one way to go. Uh, the other is harping on this, and, and hopefully the Jan 6 committee will accomplish this, uh, showing Americans that, yeah, you may not be happy with the Democrats right now, but you definitely don't want to elect these guys. Right. And one thing to wrap up with here is I've been noticing some Republicans, uh, in particular Marsha Blackburn, Marjorie Taylor Greene, some others talking about Joe Biden's war on energy. Uh, I know uh, Marjorie Three Toes wrote something the other day, something along the lines of uh, make energy great again or something like that. God. Well, here's the truth about Joe Biden's record on domestic energy mm-hmm. production. According to Thank Bloomberg you. back in February, this is February 2022, the U.S. sees record oil production next year moving even higher. U.S. oil production will grow even more than the government previously expected as a scorching price rally drives producers to boost drilling. Oil output will average 12.6 million barrels a day in 2023, an increase from its previous estimate of 12.41 million, according to Energy Information Administration data. The current annual all-time high of 12.3 million barrels a day was set in 2019. This year, Year's production forecast will also be revised higher to 11.97 million barrels a day from an earlier projection of 11.8 million. So, yeah, we're setting records for domestic oil production. So I don't know what we're talking about here with Joe Biden's war on energy. Of course, it's bullshit once again. Bullshit. Bullshit. He's done everything he can, and it it has barely moved the needle as far as lowering gas prices. It's, yeah. He's helped a little bit, but uh, this underscores that there's re- he's done so many things that this result underscores that there's little any president can do. Right. Uh, presidents don't control oil prices; it's global. Uh, yeah. We need to keep driving home that message and the fact that the other guys are traitors. Right. Uh, I guess one last thing here. Ginny Thomas pressured 29 lawmakers in Arizona to violate the law and put forth fake electors. Uh, Clarence Thomas's wife in the middle of all of this shit, in the middle of this gigantic conspiracy to commit election fraud, and more dimensions of it come out day by day, right? For for those progressives who enjoy conspiracy theories, uh, we could raise the question, why isn't this being investigated? Yeah. Uh, The Jan 6 committee has indicated it has no plans to include Jenny Thomas in its investigation. Interesting. What's up, what's up, what's up with that? Nah, that, I don't that know. does I, I, you know, I'm the last guy to be suspicious about things, but that's a little strange, so I it hope is. we get an answer. Might have something to do with Liz Cheney. I don't know if there's yeah. a connection between Liz Cheney and Jenny Thomas. There could be. Yeah, um, I don't know. This other story is uh, developing as we speak, this story about uh, Congressman Loudermilk, how he brought a group of 12 people to the Hill on January 5th. And his response was, well, we were only in the Cannon office building. That's where we were. It's still Capitol Hill, you asshole. Right. <laughs> Good yeah. God. 
I mean, the, the the plot was not just restricted to the Capitol itself. And in fact, there are very few congressional offices inside the Capitol building proper. A lot right. of members of Congress have offices in those ancillary buildings also on the Hill, adjacent to the Capitol building. So this wasn't just about disrupting the vote tallying. This was about, uh, you know, seizing the offices of members right. of Congress as well. So it's entirely possible that Loudermilk was prepping these guys, giving them advanced knowledge in terms of uh, how you take the, the tunnel from the Cannon building over to uh, the Capitol building and so on. Uh, this is all this all could have been legitimate information. Mm handed to these conspirators by a, a member of Congress. And, and he's and, trying to pretend as if he had nothing to do with it. And, and Marge, Marge Three Toes, meanwhile, is pointing people toward Pelosi's office. So Right. There's, there's so much to uncover. This is a thick book. Yes. Well, more to come here on the Shadow Docket on our Patreon page, bobseskashow.com. Bookmark it, send it to all your friends, and uh, sign up now. $5 a month gets you Shadow Docket every Tuesday and Thursday. We'll see you over there, folks. Bye-bye. I love you, John Dean.